Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the law. Christ has become no effect unto whoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. That he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before and I have told you in times past that they which do such things shall not in inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Have you ever felt like in your Christian walk that you are just a complete and total failure? You have good intentions, you're going to start doing the right thing, you're going to start doing better, you're going to start living for Christ, you're going to start, even right now, you're going to start doing better. And then the week gets started and you just 
you mess it up right from the start. And it's just one thing after another, and you just feel like that you blew it. You might even this morning come into the house of God, spiritually speaking, just barely hanging on. Just exhausted by troubles and and sorrows or just beat down by the world and the flesh and the devil. And you just think, I don't know if I can go another day. I just feel as if that, that everything has come against me. Well, it's a common experience to the people of God. If you feel like that way this morning, this is a common experience. It's also common to try to fight that with a plan to do better. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to stop doing bad. I'm going to start doing good. And then once I do that, things will start changing in my life and things will start getting better. Well, we are called to follow the Lord. We are called to forsake sin and stop doing the bad. But I don't want us to miss something. The question is, how do we do it? The good I want to do, I don't do it. The bad things I don't want to do, I end up doing those. And then you say, well, I resolve I'm going to do better. And then we don't, and then where are we at? Then you read verses such as verse 22 and the fruit of the Spirit, and you see love and joy and peace, and you might look back through the week and say, well, I didn't have much joy and I didn't have much peace and I wasn't very gentle and, uh, the, and you know you look back and you just I got to do better and, and, and just convict well the first step I think is not to say I determine I'm going to do better I believe the foundation well I know the foundation for our Christian life is the work of our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Years ago, I struggled spiritually and I wanted to live a life of victory. I heard that all the time. To have a life of victory. So to have the fruit of the Spirit in abundance. So I spent a lot of time trying to determine how to get that fruit, how to live victoriously. What methods do I need to follow? What what do I need to do? How do I need to, to what program do I need to start to, to live the victorious Christian life? Well, I thought I had tapped into something, uh, and, but I just burdened myself more with more regulations that I couldn't keep, more programs that, that I tried that I couldn't keep up with. And rather than being full of joy and peace, I was full of uh, despair and unsettledness, the opposite of what we find there at the end of Galatians 5. What I had done was looked to myself and my works to do what only the Spirit of God can do, but what the Spirit of God has promised to do. And I just set that aside and said, well, I got this. I need to do something to stir up the Spirit of God. What we need to do first is remember who we are and what we have. And Lord willing, this year I'm going to be preaching on and off on the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not just going to be straight through 
maybe one or two a month. Or, but we're going to go through and look at the fruit of the Spirit. But this is not going to be a how-to series. A how-to have joy or how-to have peace and so forth. But rather, a Christ did series. We're going to look at the fruit promised to us in Christ, but look to Christ to see what that looks like and, and to look to Him to provide us the grace of, this, of these fruits. Certainly, there's things that rob our joy. There's things that temper our love. There's things that, um, that bring down our, our uh, gentleness that we ought to have, of course. But that's downstream of the person and work of Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, I preached a, a 30,000 foot view of Galatians. We saw, went through the whole book and saw that the big theme of the book was justification by faith. Because there were people in the church there that were trying to rob the church of their, of their liberty, trying to get them to go back under the law. If you're going to have happiness, if you're going to be saved, you have to be circumcised, they said. You have to go back and do the old covenant in order to partake in the new. It'd be kind of weird for Paul to spend that whole letter up until this point talking about that and then turn around and say, oh yeah, now here's a list of rules that you need to follow in order that you might have um, salvation. But that's not what he did. And that's why I read this whole chapter. And we're just going to think, go through this chapter and think of the, the context surrounding the fruit of the Spirit. And to see that our relationship to the law has changed. But God has not left us lawless and not left us without power. So when you read Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's a very pessimistic tone throughout all three of those books. Of course, there's the promises of blessing. If you keep the law, then I will bless you. You'll go into the land of milk and honey. All these, these promises are there. But there's more curses than there are promises of blessing. If you don't do this, if you don't do that. In fact, there's prophecies saying when you get into the land, and you go after strange gods before they even got into the land. Before they went in to take the, the people captive or take the land as God promised them. There's prophecy saying that they weren't going to do it and that they weren't going to follow the Lord and they were going to go after strange gods. Even pro prophecies of being taken out of the land and being captive. It tells them that they're stiff-necked and hard-hearted. So the problem wasn't the law, but from the very beginning, you just get the sense this is the law is good because it promises great blessings, but God's people just can't do it by themselves. They just can't do it on their own. Somebody has to come and help them. So this chapter stresses that we have been set free from bondage. In other words, a law that we couldn't keep. And, the, and brought into the liberty that is in Christ walking in the Spirit, who gives us the ability 
the desire, the assistance, the motivation to walk with Christ in holiness. That we have entered into this freedom, but yet God himself gives us the desires and the faith and the strength to, to follow him. And so I'll be preaching this morning on the liberty in the spirit from Galatians chapter number five. The liberty in the spirit. So in the first section, verses one through 12, Paul makes this point that you have been made free. So he kind of makes a statement in verse one. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And then starting from verse 2 down to 12, he illustrates it by the situation that was going on in the church. He tells them to stand fast. There were Jews who were teaching that you have to keep the rules, you have to follow these rules and regulations in order to be in Christ. Sure, the gospel is free, but there are some stipulations. You hear that all the time. If you would ask somebody, do you believe in a work salvation? Well, of course not. But then you start talking to them. Well, yeah, the gospel is free, but, but, and then there's the but, right? Sure, you're saved by grace, but, and that's kind of what they were doing. Yeah, you're saved by the work of Christ. Yes, he died for your sins and rose from, for your justification, but you also have to do all these other things in order to, to have that. Well, Paul urges the church to stand fast. The hymn we sang, what did he say? He, he stood, he had no other stand than the righteousness of Christ. There's no other place to stand except in Christ. Because that's the point he makes here. If you stand anywhere else, if you stand under the law, you're going to be judged in the law. If you stand in your own righteousness, you're going to be judged according to your own works. But stand fast in the liberty which Christ has made you free. Hold the line. Be firm. Don't back an down. Don't give an inch. Stand fast in this freedom that Christ has given you. The Apostle Paul understood this wasn't a matter of Christian liberty as, as far as personal uh, opinions about different scruples in your life. This is a matter of the true gospel. Those who demanded works for the Gentile believers to enter in the family and the church of God were adding another requirement to the gospel. And Paul stood firmly, you are justified by faith. Not by your works, but by trusting in the work of Christ. Look in verse 5. He says, we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Notice that. It's not by doing that we have this righteousness of faith. But it's also not by not doing. So there's, it's not one or the other is since in that you are a legalist or you have no law whatsoever. It's not by doing the law that we're justified, or it's not by not doing the law that we're justified. But it's by faith in the work of Christ. 
So the opposite of being a legalist is not being an antinomian. And say, so what's an antinomian? Well, anti, that's easy to guess. That means against. Nomos is the law. So an antinomian means a person that is against the law. So a legalist is somebody that earn, lives to earn favor with God in his works and his righteousness. So he lives under the law, trying to keep the law so God will love him and bless him and save him. Well, the antinomian says, well, I'm against the law altogether. The Bible says that I'm free and there is no law, so I live how I want. I can do what I want and, and say what I want. and There's no restrictions. I can, I, I'm, I'm free from all the law together. I'm against the law. So the opposite of being a legalist is not being an antinomian. And the reason I say that is because sometimes people will say, I've been, I've been in bondage to, to a legalistic spirit. So I'm going to go and I'm going to fix that by just throwing the law away altogether and living however I want to. So you don't cure one error with another error. These two views are cousins because they all they're related to the law. The one says do the law. The other one says throw away the law. But both of them orient their lives to do the, their lives are oriented around a legal transactional spirit. But what does Paul say here? When we are free in Christ Jesus, keeping the law doesn't avail anything. And it's not throwing away the law. That doesn't avail anything either. But it's faith which worketh by love. It is faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Our legal standing before God is based on the work of Jesus. He lived for us, and by faith we receive his righteousness. He died for us, and he pardoned our sins with his precious blood. So we have forgiveness of sins. His perfect righteousness is credited to our account. And we saw previously in Galatians that for a time, the law was given until Christ came, who would fulfill the law. And when Christ died, I died with him. I died to the law. I rose with Christ. I'm alive in Christ. So it's not that there is no law, it's just our relationship to it has changed. Because if I've died to that law and risen in Christ, I can't be condemned by that law. I can't go, no one can go today and arrest Billy the Kid. The law of the United States has no sway over Billy the Kid anymore. He's dead and he's gone. I mean, I guess they could put out an arrest warrant for him, but it'd be kind of foolish to. No earthly court has any jurisdiction anymore over Billy the Kid. Because he's dead. Well, it's the same way with Christians in the law. It has no more power to judge us anymore. Christ paid for our sins and we died with Christ. So look over in Romans 6, verses 1 through 5. 
This is how Paul describes it to us. Romans 6, verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So it's the same question. Well, if I have freedom, do I just live however I want? Was a depraved mind that tries to say God's grace is a key to sinfulness? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer than? Know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into his death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. If he is dead, he is freed from sin. And so, if you continue on and read through the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7, we get to chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The point is that we've died. We've died to sin. And if we're dead in sin, we're dead to the law. And if that's the case, the law can't judge us anymore. Christ paid our debt to the law at Calvary and has set me free. So I'll stand free in the liberty that Christ has made me free and I won't be entangled with the yoke of bondage. The thing is, you can't live halfway between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You can't say, I'm a child of Sarah, but I'm also a child of Hagar. That was the allegory that Paul made. Everybody was saying, oh, I'm a child of Abraham. Well, I'm also a child of Abraham. But Paul made the point, think about it this way, Hagar was a, was a slave. Sarah was free. You can't be a child under bondage and you also can't be a child free because what did Sarah say? Cast out that the son of the bondwoman because I'm not going to have him take share the inheritance with the son of promise. And so Paul's saying you can't, you can't have two moms. You're either a child of the free or a child of under bondage. So you can't live halfway between the old covenant and the new covenant. And Paul says if you, if you live under the law, you have to keep all of it perfectly, entirely, exactly, perpetually. And if you don't, you fall. And if you try to live halfway between grace and keeping the law for salvation, then you've fallen from grace. He says, live in the freedom and serve one another and love one another in the Spirit. So secondly, this morning, we have been called to be free. Starting verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. So first Paul says, stand fast in your liberty. Then he says, you have been called to liberty. Liberty is not optional. And what I mean is... Liberty isn't one of the many gifts that some people have and some people don't. Christian, you've been called to liberty. When you were called by God and enlivened by the Spirit of God, 
trusted in Christ, you were set free. You were united to Jesus and no longer in the bondage of sin. No longer under a covenant where you must say, do this or die. Do this and live. But believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You've been liberated. You don't earn that liberation. You don't have to live up to that liberation. You're not on a probationary period to where God looks at you to see what you're going to do and whether you're going to measure up. You're not under that bondage of, am I going to make it? I know I, I love Jesus, but do I love Him enough? I know that I worship, but I worship good enough. I want to do right, but I do right good enough. No, you have been set free. Free in Christ. Who gave you that desire to want to do good? Who gave you that desire to want to worship? To want to love Jesus? Did the devil give you that? Did the devil make you want to love Jesus? Did the devil want to make you to do right? No, that is the work of God in your heart, in your soul. So liberty is not something that you have to work towards. It's something that you receive when you receive Christ. You have been set free. Liberty is not the second blessing. Some views of sanctification say that there's stages in the Christian life, and as you work towards the higher life, you start getting victory. You start living the second blessing where you have liberty and, and freedom and then blessing. When you're first saved, you're like the Israelites out in the wilderness. Hard-hearted and stiff-necked and looking for the promised land. And, but if you keep following the methods, if you keep doing the right things, then you'll be like Joshua and you'll enter into the promised land of Christian victory. But you got to hang on to that promised land of Christian victory or otherwise you'll slide back like they did and back and forth and so the the, the Christian life is the haves and the have-nots we're not talking about the saved and the unsaved we're talking about in the Christian life some people have it some people don't some people are victorious some people are in bondage that's not what Paul said Paul says you've been called unto this this is God's will for you to be free you've been called to liberty it's God's will that we be free. It is not a command, but that's His plan. That's His will for His people. That He, he sent His Son that we might be set free. Look there at the end of verse 13. It says, But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So by the Spirit, in the freedom that we have in Christ, What's he say? Love one another. And then how does he prove that? By quoting the book of Leviticus. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The Old Testament people couldn't do that. They couldn't even understand that. And so they live and they fall and go into bondage. But Christ has set us free that by love, through the Spirit, 
we can love one another, serve one another, and thus fulfill the law. Thus do what God has called us to do through the work of the Spirit in our lives. So it's not lawlessness, but it's how can we do the law? How can we love one another? How can we serve one another? By the Spirit. The only way we can keep the law is the Spirit. And God has called us to this. Isn't that a blessing this morning if you think about that? It's God's will that he would set you free from the condemnation of the law and indwell you with his spirit that you may follow after him according to the law. That he will give you the power to obey him, but the freedom from the judgment and the condemnation when we can't do it perfectly. What a joyous thing it is to be a Christian, to have the Spirit of God indwelling in us, putting in our hearts to do what is right, to do what God wants us to do, and to live with that, that knowledge that, yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I didn't. I fouled everything up this week. But I can come into the house of God and be reminded what Christ has done for me and know that, that He loves me as His child that my sins are forgiven in Christ, that His Spirit indwells with me with His will and His promise that we will walk in the Spirit. We have freedom in the Spirit. We've been called to be free. We have freedom in the Spirit. So there's some comparisons here through the rest of the chapter. and We'll look at two of them. But the liberty that we have in the life of the Spirit is, compa- is contrasted with the works that we do in the flesh. The bondage and the works of the flesh. But like I said, it's not legalism versus antinomianism. Those are both wrong, and they're both wrong for a similar reason. We're not translated from one sort of works righteousness, though, to another. That's the other problem. That we say... God has delivered me from the yoke of the Old Testament law with dietary rules and clothing rules and haircut rules and farming rules and all those different things. But now I've been translated into the New Covenant where I have to do the same thing in the Old, but just different rules. And and so it's the only way I can be and God's will is not by being circumcised, but now it's by being baptized. And, and then God will save me. And it's not by the separation from clothing, but it's by the separation of this thing or that thing. And they take the same principle of bondage under the law, meaning that in order for God to, to love us and to keep us and, and so forth, we have to keep the law. And if we don't, then we're out or we're not blessed. Just a different set of rules. Even in this chapter, it's easy for us to miss the point or forget the point. But we've been set free to a life of freedom in the Spirit of God. Paul compares life with the flesh and with the Spirit, but take careful notice how he compares. So look in verse 13. Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. 
So instinctively, we're going to say, so use liberty first. Use liberty to sin. Use liberty for service. But what Paul is here, the right way is, but by love, serve one another. So he doesn't say, he says, don't use liberty so you can go out and sin. That's not what this is about. This doesn't say that you're free to go and commit works of unrighteousness. But then he doesn't also say, use your liberty in order to serve God. He says, but by love, serve one another. He's not saying substitute one legal system for another, but rather use, don't use the freedom that God has given you to go back into sin. But you are free. He's not saying to take the freedom and, and use it, whether you have it or not. But he said, no, you are free. So now, live in the Spirit, and by love, serve one another in the Spirit. See, it's a, a subtle difference, but very important, that the only way we can live in freedom is by the Spirit, not by our works. We work because of what God has done in us. So we serve one another through love, by love, by the power of the Spirit, the love that the Spirit gives us. So it's a reality of freedom, not working toward to keep it. Here's another comparison, verse 19. So now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, and, and we read those, and you can see them all there. Whole list of, of bad things. So 21, at the end of verse 21, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you also in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul says, if you do these things, then you won't inherit the kingdom of God. So instinctively, what do we say? The old natural man says, okay, what do we do then? If we're not supposed to do these things, what do we do? And then you run into the fruit of the Spirit verses and say, oh, well, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be loving and joyful and peace and, and, and have peace. And if I do those things, then I'll inherit the kingdom of God. So the fruit of the Spirit become a list of virtues and laws to fulfill, to enter the kingdom, or to be victorious. But that's not the comparison. At the end of verse 21, he says, those that do the which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. All right, so you do the works of the flesh. That's just natural things that we do. That's just the depravity of man. I know none of you parents have ever had to teach your kids how to lie and how to disobey you. Right, if you could have found somebody that taught them how to disobey, you'd probably wring their neck, wouldn't you? But you know, no one taught them how to disobey; they just did it. It's just natural. You have to teach them not to disobey. Right? That that's natural. That's the works of the flesh that manifest because they just come out of us. Depravity. But Paul says that. The fruit of the Spirit is not doing something, but it's inheriting. It's a gift of God. Heirs don't 
earn their inheritance. Most of the time, I guess. That, that you just, you're born. You know why oftentimes in the scriptures where it'll say that you're the sons of God, it doesn't say sons and daughters of God? If you have a new translation, they started doing that to, for gender equality, I guess, to be the sons and daughters of God. But that's not why they say that. In these times, if you were going to get an inheritance, the firstborn got the, the inheritance. The firstborn would have got everything. He got the major part of that. Um, and you know, too bad if you were a girl, you better marry good, was kind of the, the situation. Because the firstborn son got the, the majority of the inheritance. And so that's why it talks about the inheritance like this in the scriptures. It's not that, it's that the blessings just go to men in the Bible, but it's the blessing of the firstborn son that, that we receive these things. And so the inheritance is not just for men in Christianity, and it's not just for Jews in Christianity, for there is neither Jew nor Greek nor male or female. And that's what Paul was, was driving at. We all inherit the blessings. We, in Christ, who was made of a woman, made under the law, redeemed them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons, it says in Galatians 4. And because you are sons, God sent forth His Spirit of a son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you are no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, an heir through God, through Christ. So Paul said, if you do these things, you won't inherit the kingdom. Why? Because if you do those things, you're not a son. Why aren't you a son? Because you haven't been adopted into the family of God. But the flip side of that is, those who have been adopted, those who were redeemed under the law, those who had their sins forgiven by the blood of Christ, are sons and are heirs and will receive and inherit the kingdom of God, not because of what we do or not do, but by what He has done for us. So it's not those who do the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom versus those who do the works of the Spirit will inherit the kingdom. But it's those who are outside of Christ, do the works of the flesh, will be judged under the law, and they will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit comes from, by grace. That's the second comparison. Works are done and fruit is produced. Paul's not saying instead of doing this for your salvation, do that. But rather, salvation is by grace. And our Christian life is by grace. And sin and iniquity is contrary to the life we've been called to. Third, it's a comparison of works versus fruit. There's many works there, plural, but there's fruit, singular. The works of the flesh are not united. They're they're divisive in and of themselves. So sexual sins, drunkenness, idolatry, murder, hatred, that all seem, you know, those aren't related other than that's what people naturally do. But the fruit is singular. It's not separate. It's not that the Spirit will give you love and then you joy and then somebody else faith and somebody else goodness and they're separate and you work for them. No, it's a fruit. 
One pastor said, it's not like separate jewels on a necklace, but like nine separate sides of one shining diamond. The fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit of God working in us to produce this life-giving fruit in Christ. So we are living free in the Spirit. The freedom we have is in the Spirit. We're not just liberated, but we're also liberated and given life. So what would happen if we open... We opened up the prison doors and let everybody out. In our country, I almost hate to say that in case somebody gives an idea and they think, well, that sounds like a good policy. But what would happen? What would happen if we went and opened every prison door? Maximum security prison. People on death row. Every prison door all throughout the country and say, you're free. You're free. Do you think they'd go back and say, oh, we're so grateful that you set us free and now we're going we're gonna to be fine? No, what they would do is they would end up going right back and committing more crimes and it would be anarchy and it would be awful. See, that's what the papists and Armenians and, and some others think about, um, think about you, Christian. That's what they think about you because they say, well, if you tell a Christian they're free, They'll just go out and do whatever they, all kinds of bad things. So what you have to do is just keep hitting them with the law, keep making them feel bad, keep threatening them. If you don't do what I tell you, you're going to go to hell. And that way it'll keep them in line, and that way it'll keep them from doing good. But the reason, but the, the difference is, we have freedom in Christ. And we've been set free, but we've also been given life. If the Lord just set us free, you know what would happen? It would be the same thing as it happened to the Israelites in uh, Canaan. God would deliver them and they'd say, all right, we're free. Let's go build an idol. God delivered us from Egypt. Moses has been gone for a little a couple days. Let's build a golden calf. The Lord would deliver them from their enemies, but their stiff necks and hard hearts would take them right back into sin. The difference with us is Christ has set us free, but given us life, and dwell with, and we're dwelt with His Spirit, and so the Spirit leads us and influences and motivates and produces fruit in our life. So by love, the law was fulfilled. Where does that love come from? It's a fruit of the Spirit, not by our flesh, but what the Spirit does in us. Fighting and division and attacking. That comes from the flesh. That comes from a legalistic spirit. Those that have Christ, those that belong to Him, those that have been made free, we crucify the flesh with the affections and lust. They're dead and dying. That's a reality, not a goal. So if we live in the Spirit, we have the reality of the life of the Spirit, so let us walk in the Spirit. We don't walk in, the, in lust because those are nailed to the cross. We're not proud or conceited or jealous or fighting one another because those things are nailed to the cross. We're still in the flesh, but we mortify those desires and walk in the freedom of the Spirit. The life of the free man in Christ is walking by the Spirit. And that life in the Spirit produces the fruit of righteousness.
So, in conclusion, how, who do we look to as an example? You know, initially, God created man to be a fruit bearer. God planted the garden eastward in Eden. And God made the ground to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Adam was charged to keep that garden and tend to it. But Adam, the son of God, failed and he ate that forbidden fruit. And from that, every work of the flesh has come forth. That was the origin of every work of the flesh. His son Cain tried to offer back fruit to the Lord as a means of gaining favor. But it was really the works of his hands. Cain said, look how hard I've worked to produce this fruit. And I'm going to give it to you, Lord, so you'll be happy with me. Here's the fruit that you wanted. But no, it was the blood. That fruit was was a, a work righteousness. And God said, no, that's not acceptable. Later on, Israel was a well-beloved child and had a vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5. But that vineyard was intended. And like I said, they went off into sin over and over again. And that vineyard became a, a place of briars and thorns. But from that desolate land, one came in the Spirit. Isaiah 11, 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel, of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he shall make him drink and understand the fear of the Lord. The stem of Jesse is the one who's going to live in the Spirit. And then in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And we know who that's talking about because Jesus read it and said it was talking about himself. Who's the one in all the Bible we can look to to say, what's it look like? to have the fruit of the Spirit. What's the Lord Jesus Christ? And how can we walk in the Spirit and have that fruit? By being attached to the vine. He is the life. We're the branches. We're in the vine. We produce fruit because we're in Him. He was the fruit-bearing Son of God. And in Him, we will bear fruit. So how do we... How do we experience more in the abundance of this fruit? Well, let's look to where it comes from. Let's look to its source. Let's look to Christ. So remember, the Spirit who loves you and dwells with you because Christ came to bind the brokenhearted and liberate you, to comfort you. He lived that perfect life for you. And He's called you to walk in His Spirit and liberty. Look to Him for that source of joy and strength. May God add the blessing to His